you can probably tell this morning, Easter is by far the undisputed champion for church attendance in America. <laughs> How many know that's true? All year long, every year, 52 weeks more than any other weekend. You know, uh, I was thinking about this. In fact, I did a little research. Sociologists aren't exactly sure why in our behavior patterns this becomes the most attended. A combination of factors. There's tradition, of course. Uh, it might be that you're here today and it's your tradition to come at Easter and Christmas. And I just want to say, if that's you, we love it that you're here. Welcome. We're excited that you're here. Um, yeah, that's right. You can hear it for them. I'll have you do that again. Some of you are here because of family pressure. <laughs> Let's be honest. You were drug here today. <laughs> And then it's interesting because there are others that are here because of curiosity. In fact, the stats are staggering how many people Google search Jesus Christ right around this time of year who are researching, who are trying to figure it out. Now, I just want to say, again, we love it. It gets us so excited that you're here. We live for newcomers around here. So if you're here and it's your first time or you haven't been here in a long time, can we give a North Point welcome to those that are here? I just have to say to you, I will never forget the day that I came to know Jesus Christ. There is no better day. I get so excited on the weekends because I know it's one day closer for me having the opportunity to get up and share with you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. There is nothing like being in a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we want you to know today is that Jesus, who is a very real person, can make such a difference in your life if you'd invite him in. In fact, the day that I did that, there have been great days in my life. Let me give you some examples. I love the day that I got married. Could you please remind my wife that I said that without her being here? <laughs> Melissa. I, the day that I married Melissa, I was like, I got to be the luckiest guy in the world. And uh, so it was such a great day. And I love the day, of course, of my children's birth, my oldest, seeing a little boy, I'll never forget his hand popped out, you know, I'm like, I can't believe it, I'm going to be a dad. And uh, Sorry for the graphic images I just displayed for you. Um, the birth of my daughter, my little girl. I got the Charlie Brown little redhead girl. Um, she's cute. And then the adoption of our third. I mean, that was a great day. So I've had these great days, but guys, there was a day in which... God really revealed himself to me. And I'll never forget the moment in worship where I just lifted my hand and I just prayed a prayer. And the prayer went something like this. I just said, God, I surrender. I didn't even know how to pray. But I just said, God, I just surrender to you. And I remember all my will melted. And it was like, I just said, Jesus, whatever happens, I just want to live for you. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what the future holds, but I want to know you because you hold the future. And so would you come into my life and be my savior? It was the greatest day of my life. You know, most of you know historically that the Christian faith actually seeks to lead people to Jesus. Did you know that? In fact, we do it without apology. Our desire is to make more Christ followers. And this has bothered people, lots of people, lots of thoughtful people over the years. And the question usually goes something like this. They say, why can't you just look upon other people of other faiths people that are outside the Christian faith with love and peace and just accept them that they believe this? In other words, what they're asking is, why do you have to persuade people? Have you heard something like that before? Why do you have to convince them, they'll say. They'll say, Pastor, don't you know it's bad for the social fabric and it's bad for community harmony and it causes tensions and arguments and families? And 
Now guys, I just gotta say to you, I'm just gonna be very, very upfront if that's okay. The answer to that question as to why we have to persuade, it's right here. It's Easter. I want for you to think about this for a minute. When you go back and look at the New Testament, why is it that 5,000 Jewish people were converted to Christianity? The first two sermons that were ever preached, 5,000 Jewish people who believed in Judaism were converted to Christianity. Why did that happen? First two sermons of Easter? It's because of the claims of Easter. What are the claims of Easter? Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Grab your notes if you are. I want to go through this with you. What is the claim of Easter? The claim of Easter is that the resurrected, the, excuse me, that the rejected and executed Jesus Christ is now resurrected. He is alive again from the dead. And guys, when you get news like that going around, if it's real, I'm going to tell you, news like that just can't be suppressed. Now, I want for you to imagine for a minute, you live back in the first century, imagine that you were one of the 500 people that saw Jesus at the same time. Because Paul says it right here, they're given in a historical account in the first century, the day that this was written, and he said, after that, remember, he appeared to more than how many? 500 brothers and sisters, and he says, guys, this is convincing because most of these people are still alive today. And these people heard him speak, and now, after he's raised from the dead, well, now he's just disappeared. And imagine you're one of those 500 people, and you see Jesus, and your eyes are just beginning to recover from the sight of his glory and his presence. It's like, what's going on in your heart? Do you immediately say, well, I'm, I'm going to have to keep a lid on this. <laughs> Do you say that? Do you say, well, it's bad for the community for me to share. <laughs> it's bad for the social fabric. In fact, it might harm social cooperation, so I better not tell people what I've seen. No, no, no. Listen to me. If Jesus has appeared to you, you wouldn't talk like that. You couldn't talk like that. Look, there's something everyone here needs to understand about the church. Maybe you've never thought about this before. But the church wasn't the result of planning. Does everybody understand that? Unless you say it was God's planning. <laughs> but the church wasn't the result of human planning or human development. Let me tell you what the Christian church is. Unlike any other religion, the Christian church was the fallout of an explosion of joy. That's what created it. It was the result of an explosion like radioactive fallout that is not lethal but heals people as it comes on down. In fact, if you've not been here in the last couple of weeks, I took our, our North Point community through a couple of weeks on looking at the early church and what it means to be the early church. And I said to him, I said, go and look and see how the faith spread in the early days. All of our messages are online. I would encourage you to go back and watch them. But you read about the New Testament, and here's what you're going to see. Listen to me. You're going to see that Christians didn't go out to the streets and grab people and drag them to church. Actually, here's what happened, and I challenge you to go home and study this. You're going to see that I'm right. In fact, send me an email when you study it. Let me know. Look at every place, 
and all the places where, the, where Christians so-called testified to their faith, and in every case, you're going to see that the Christians were simply responding to questions from people outside the church. Why? Because it was people outside the church that recognized a reality inside the church that they couldn't account for. Guys, you've got to understand this. This is how the greatest witness happens. Jesus said, didn't, go, don't, Jesus didn't say, go convert people. He said, you're going to be my witnesses that something has happened. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to bear witness to something. See, what people on the outside can't account for is that when something happens on the inside, there is a generosity, there is a courage, there were lives changed. The day that I said, Lord, I surrender to you, I was 17 years old, and I was a punk. Some of my youth pastors actually attend North Point. I'm their pastor today, and they will tell you, I was a punk. I, I'm not making that up. They will tell you, he's the kid we're going to say no to in wanting to go to camp. <laughs> Serious. No to small group, no to camp. Parents have no control over this one. If I went on any youth event, it was to pick up on girls. That was the only reason. I used to walk up to a girl, and I'd, I'd, I'd have this gimmick, and I'd, guys used to dare me to do it, and I'd walk up. I know you're going to look at me and think this is a funny, short, bald guy doing this, but I walked up to girls in that day when I was 17, and I'd go, hey, my friends just bet me that you went and kissed me. Could you help me out? And, you know, usually the girl, if she was a nice girl, she'd say, no way, get out of my face. But, but usually if she wasn't a nice girl, she'd go, sure, I'll help you out, you know. And, then we, and I'd walk up back up to all the guys, and I'd go, see what I got? Because they wouldn't know I told them the truth, you know. They just think that I've got game. So, anyway. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the day that I surrendered to Jesus Christ, man, my life changed. And I just said, Jesus. And, and all I knew is I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I just knew I wanted to tell people about Jesus. And look, I get to do that today. Isn't this amazing? But people, I'll never forget, I walked back on my high school campus and people kept asking questions. What's happened to you? What's going on with you? You're different. You've always been weird, but you're different. Now, I want for you to write this down if you have your notes. First point here. Because this is what Easter is all about. This summarizes the gospel. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, here we go. I love you guys so much. Write this down. The resurrection is, the resurrection is a historical reality that actually creates a new personal reality within me. That's what Easter is. And this is what the Christians were saying in the New Testament church. They're saying, look, Jesus Christ, he was crucified, he's now been raised, it's amazing, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the universe, he's going to rule, all things have been put under his feet, and something is happening to people. Get on board. All evil has been put down, and knowing that reality changes something in your life. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. By the way, if you don't know, this is what we're aiming for here at North Point. We're aiming for people to be so transformed that in your workplace, in your schools, in your families, they're going to say, what the heck has happened to you? What is going on? What's God doing? Today, I want to talk to you about how you experience that kind of a change. It's what I call experiencing a spiritual resurrection. 
because of the resurrection. And so we're going to talk about it in two parts, but I want you to think for just a minute. Everybody know what baptism is? Have you ever heard of baptism? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, just if you look at baptism and what it is, it is the dunking into water. Now, what you need to know is that in the first century when people were baptized, water symbolized death. It's a little different than today. Water today symbolizes life and recreation, and it's good that you have water. But back in the day, the depths were the abode of demons. You would never go out. In fact, some of you will remember that even in the days of Columbus, you know, sea monsters are out there. You'll fall off the edge of the world. So when somebody was dunked into the water, it was symbolic of a dying. I'm dying. The equivalent today would be if I took you to a seminary, dug a hole, dropped you in it, threw some dirt on you, got you back out. That would be the equivalent of the meaning of baptism for first century people. And so it's this idea that I go into death and then I'm resurrected out of the water, meaning God has reborn me. Something has happened. By the way, we're doing baptisms today. I'd just love it if you'd be baptized if Jesus has done that in your heart, if you've experienced a spiritual resurrection. Because baptism says there's a new reality. Something in Christ out here that has created a new reality for me in here. That's the doctrine of Easter. Everybody say Easter. You can explain this to your friends at lunch today. Say, do you know what Easter really means? Jesus said, I am, let's read this together. Everybody just look at the scripture. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. Do you believe this? Now, let's take a look. I want to break the scripture up into two parts. The first thing that Jesus says is, I am the resurrection. And here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, I'm going to be resurrected, although he was resurrected. And he's not saying, I'm going to show you how to live your life in such a way that one day you'll be resurrected. Stop right there. Look at me for just a minute. I'm going to give you a very important fact about Christianity. Some people think that Christianity is another religious system like Buddhism or Islam or or any other uh, uh, Confucianism and, and all of these other isms. They think Christianity is Jesus is teaching us a way to live. Therefore, if we live that way, we might get into heaven. A lot of people think, you may be here and think that's what Christianity, let me be very clear, that is not what Christianity is. All religions are not the same. Every other religion can say that, Christianity can't say that. What Jesus is saying is, I am your resurrection. In other words, he's saying, resurrection, heaven, eternity is found in relationship to a person, and when you come into relationship with that person, you can know that you have life. And so what Jesus says is, I'm not teaching you how you can be raised, write this down. What Jesus is saying is, I have been raised for you. In fact, if I could illustrate it this way, I was literally thinking, how do I illustrate this to our, to our great friends and family that's gonna come on Easter? And I want for you to all to get this. You say, Pastor, what's Christianity about? Here's the way I would define it. Christianity, the essence of Christianity is about personal pronouns. You say, what the heck does that mean? Well, if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I believe that the Son of God was born. You'd say, Pastor, I believe he died. I believe he was raised. I believe he ascended. I believe he's coming again. I'm going to tell you, and it might surprise you, that believing that does not make you a Christian. Let me say that again. 
believing that does not make you a Christian. But if you believe, and listen to the difference, if you believe the Son of God was born for me, if you believe he died for me, if you believe he was raised, come on, for me, he ascended to the right hand of the Father for me, and one day he's going to come again at the second coming of Christ for who? For you, and you've personalized it. Now that is the essence of Christianity. There is a difference. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter four, take a look. And people confuse the difference all the time. But it says, Paul writes and he says, he was delivered over to death for what? Our sins. There you go. He was raised to life for what? Our justification. Do you see? What does that mean? How many of you, I'll give you an example of what this means. How many of you have ever gone to a store and when you buy the item in a store, you're usually sure to get the receipt? Anybody like that? Okay, some of you, a few of you, you still get receipts. What is the advantage of getting a receipt? Or what's the advantage of them stapling to your bag a receipt? Well, have you ever noticed those strange people that walk around near any window or doors and they're always watching you? Have you guys ever noticed that? Anybody ever been looked at by somebody in plain clothes and think, man, they're watching me a little too carefully and you know they're one of those employees that are secretly watching that you don't shoplift? I want to ask a question, honestly. Who here has ever been accused of shoplifting? Because I have. Anybody here? Oh, a few of you. I have. They look, I, do I look like a shoplifter? But literally, I'm walking out of Walmart, Walmart of all places. You should let me take that. <laughs> it's not worth anything. But Walmart, I have never been stopped by such a vicious old woman. No offense to old women, but like, and I think she knew judo or something because she was tough. But she stops me. She, Did you pay for that? And I was so excited. Well, as a matter of fact, I did. Here's my receipt. And the receipt is a way of guaranteeing that I'll never have to pay for that thing again. In your face, old woman. You're walking out toward the door. Wait a minute, did you really, what did you, see, you guys get the point. When you can whip out your receipt, you can defy them, do this, and then hope you'll get caught. It's so much fun. Ha, proof, face. Look at this lady. I never have to pay for this again. Now listen, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says literally that God stamped paid in full across the pages of history. God said, what I just did, that payment is enough. It is sufficient. You, my friends, never have to pay for any sin that you've ever done again. It is paid for. It is done. In fact, I saw this last night on Facebook, so I added it to my message, this receipt right here, because it says it all. Take a look at it as it's coming up on the screen here. That Jesus has paid it all. Look. My sin, paid. My shame, paid. My pain, paid. Come on. Past mistakes, paid. Rejection and loneliness, what? Come on. There you go. Slavery to sin. Spiritual death. Do you have a reason to celebrate today? Sure you do. It's paid. Now, the question that you've got to ask yourself is, not only do you understand that up here, 
but is it personal in here? In other words, what am I asking you? I'm asking you, do you have your receipt? Do you look at the resurrection and say, that's God's way of saying to me, I'll never have to pay for this again. And do you live in that trust? Now, here's the second part of the resurrection, and it's just as good. It doesn't get good till it gets good, but when it gets good, it gets really, really good. Watch this. He says, write this down. He says, I have achieved victory and power over death. I have achieved victory and power. You know why? Because here he's, he's, not, he's not just saying I'm just the resurrection. He's saying I'm also your life. Now, this is worth talking about when I say life. Here's why. In Western culture, have you noticed that death looms over us? Death casts a huge shadow. Right now, by the way, in our modern Western culture, there are two ways that we typically will deal with death. Two basic strategies. You ready for them? Here they are. One way that we deal with death is called denial. Everybody hear denial? In other words, let's not talk about death. Don't tell me about death. I don't want to think about death. As a pastor, by the way, I do lots of funerals, and I got to be honest, this is really true for non-believers. I've done more funerals than I could possibly remember over the last 25, 30 years, and I've noticed that when you get non-believers together for a funeral, it's like gathering a bunch of prisoners who are resolved not to talk about it not to mention it, not to express it. No one brings it up. It's like you go to a funeral and you're getting all these prisoners together and it's like they're all there staring at the jail gate. No hope, no optimism. They don't want to talk about it. You don't want to remind each other about it. In fact, they try and forget about it. And number one thing I've noticed at funerals as a pastor, one writer put it this way. It's an amazing statement. Take a look at what it says. He says, for society's sake, we have to hide the unbearable disturbance caused by the ugliness of dying, people, you, people need to believe that life is happy. Now, I'm going to say to you, that right there is the bleakest admission I've ever read because you realize what they're saying. They're saying if anybody actually begins to admit to themselves the inevitability, the reality of death, their whole life is going to be drained of all joy. And that's one way you deal with it. Well, you just deny it. Here's the other way. I said there are two ways. One is denial. Everybody say denial. The other way is we sentimentalize it. Here's why we do this. Psychologists have been rightly telling us for years that if you deny something you fear, in other words, if you fear something but you refuse to face it, actually that thing that you fear, it controls you unconsciously. That thing you're afraid of, if you deny it, guess what? It still runs your life. That's a problem. So what is the second approach? Don't deny it. Instead, look at it and say, right, uh, let's not be afraid of death. Let's face death. Death is a friend. Death is natural. How many of you ever heard death is a natural thing? It's not an awful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a peaceful thing. In fact, your average funeral home today will tell you how natural it is. This is Hospice 101. You can keep your dead family member with you at all times. Have a piece of them. Put in, a, put in some jewelry. Remember them. I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that commemoration of their life. I'm simply saying they're trying to say to you that death is a peaceful thing. It's the final stage of life, they'll say. But have you noticed that whenever you hear something like that, if you're honest, if you think about it, you know it's a damnable lie. Let me tell you something about death. Saying that death is a friend or saying that death is a natural thing, 
It's a cosmetic statement. It's like putting a Band-Aid on somebody that just chopped my arm off. It's putting lipstick and makeup on a skeleton and then saying, oh, that looks good. No, you've just made it look more hideous. Listen, the Bible gives you the only sound understanding of death that helps you to live in freedom in this world. What does the Bible say about death? Think about this, because many of you have lost loved ones. First of all, the Bible says, and this isn't in your notes, but you can write it down on the side, the Bible says that death is an enemy. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that death is the last enemy that will be destroyed. It's an enemy. It's not your friend. You know that. By the way, you all know what I'm talking about is true. When you get in the presence of death, you know that it's not a friend. We try and fight it. Year and a half ago, my dad passed away. I became so used to taking care of him. He had dementia in his older age, and we developed a really neat relationship because he was so dependent upon me. And it was my lifestyle to take care of him. I loved it. I loved being with him. When he died, it was hard. My mom passed about 12 years ago from cancer. She learned she had cancer because she was having a backache, and she lived for four months. She passed away. My sister took her life a few years ago. Step, decided to step in front of a train, and that was it. And have you noticed that sometimes when somebody dies, even if they die peacefully like my dad, because I was there when he breathed his last, I was right with him. In fact, I was prepping for a message and telling him about it. It literally put him to sleep for good. <laughs> well, he would get that and like it. I don't care if you're offended. But even when somebody passes, and even if they look angelic, I mean, even if, like my dad, they look really peaceful, you just leave them for three or four days, and you're going to see that death is a twisting. Death is a perverting, destructive thing. It is abnormal. It is not your friend, and we know we're not meant for it. Do you remember, in fact, how many of you remember the story where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead? Here's Jesus Christ. If you don't know the story, I'll tell you. Here's Jesus Christ. He's getting ready to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And if you remember the story, what is the first thing that he does? The Bible says that he what? He wept. Some of you got it. By the way, that's a scripture. Everybody say, Jesus wept. Go ahead. You just memorized your first scripture. That is the shortest scripture in the Bible. Look, you're walking out of here. Easter Sunday, you're like, I know my Bible. Jesus wept. He weeps. Why? Why did Jesus weep? Because Jesus knows in the presence of death, he senses what we sense. Death is a hateful thing. You should not be okay with death. Death is your enemy. On the other hand, Christianity also says, of all the world's faith, and there's no other faith like this that says it, it sees death as a defeated enemy. Because Paul writes, notice where he says here in this scripture, oh, death, where is your what? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, how can anybody in their right mind say that? You see what he's doing? He's taunting death. He's teasing death. He's sticking his tongue out at it. How can anybody in their right mind do such a thing? The answer is this. Listen to me. I've got good news for you. Any man or woman that has put their faith in Jesus Christ can taunt death. Because, you know why? Because Jesus, who is the Christ, has broken the power of death. 
Peter says, amen. Peter says, listen to this, look at this. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but Peter says in the first sermon in history, he says he was not abandoned to the realm of the what? Dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life. And he says, look, I'm I'm showing you proof. By the way, faith is not blind faith. It's evidence-based faith. The scripture was written because people were saying, here's what we've seen, here's what we've heard, here's what we've touched. The smartest thing you can do is to believe a faith that can be checked out. And if you seek the truth and check out Christianity, my friend, I dare you to do it. You will find it's true. It's why we love to take people to Israel every year to go to the archaeology and the history. You will see that, oh my goodness, this is real stuff. We're not talking about a theology. We're talking about history. We're talking about what's happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, death can't hold us. Do you see what this means for us? Listen to me. Let me summarize. If Jesus Christ died, you don't have to pay for any of your sins. He paid for it. Isn't that good news? But then it gets better because if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he's proven that death gets conquered so you will be raised from the dead. It's amazing. You know the George Herbert poem? I love to read Christian classics. Some of the pastors that are real close to me, they know that I tend to read old stuff as compared to new stuff. And I'm not very in, in, uh, into the times today. You know, I like to read older stuff. But there's this, uh, there's this poem from the 1600s by a guy named George Herbert. I mean, talk about old, 1600s. And he, he talks about a dialogue or an anthem between death and a Christian. And here's what he, here's what he says. The Death calls Christian a loser. Look at this line from this poem. He says, this is death talking. He said, let losers talk. You're gonna die. Death's arms will crush thee is what he says. But then how does the Christian respond in that poem? I love this. The Christian says, well, spare not. Do your worst death. You suck. Because I, and that's my modern version, but he says, I shall one day be better than before, but you, oh, you're not gonna even exist. Death, stick your tongue out at it. It's not gonna conquer you. What am I saying? I'm saying the Christian says, come on, death, as you reach out to strangle me, instead of breaking me, you'll make me. Don't you see? Listen to me, the worst thing that can happen to you if you're a Christian is actually the best thing. What's the worst thing that could happen to you today? You'll die, guess what, that's the best thing. The worst thing that can happen to you actually becomes, it it will create in you more power and glory than ever before. Come on, I feel like Obi-Wan Kenobi that says, you strike me down, I will be more powerful than ever before. (laughs) Listen, for the Christian, death becomes the dark tunnel to the ballroom. Is anybody with me today? See, this is why Paul writes and he says, don't you get it? He goes, all things are yours. Christian, don't worry, all things are yours. And you are Christ's. If you live with God on Monday, praise God. But if you die with God on Monday, praise God. I said this before, I'm gonna say it again. A Christian looks at death and says, come on, cross. Come on, grave. The lower you lay me, the higher you'll raise me. Come on, what can you do to me? Christians look at death and they just say, come on, do your worst because you're only gonna make me better than before. Now, Let me ask quickly, because I need to get on to the second part 
and I'm not gonna spend as much time on it. I wanna ask you, do you have your receipt? Come on, do you have your receipt? If you do have your receipt, then do you have peace with God? Because one of the ways you can tell that you actually have peace with God is, how do you handle death? How do you handle that? Then, Jesus talks about a second kind of resurrection. I'm gonna hit this very quickly, but this is the part that I'm gonna talk about that kicks off another series we're gonna go into starting next week that you gotta be here for. And this is where we're gonna leave it today. It's a very, very searching question. Gee, I said two parts to the resurrection. Jesus also goes on and says, whoever believes in me will live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. He's talking about a different kind of life here. He's not talking about how your body gets renewed and resurrected, although that's true, we've talked about that. He's talking about a different kind of life, one that can start today, one that never goes out, Let me say this to you very clearly. It's the one where when you say, Lord, I surrender, I trust you, Jesus. I surrender to a relationship with you. Come into my life. The Spirit of God literally comes and inhabits your physical body and begins to change you. Begins to make you more like Jesus. And when you become, God says, when you believe on me, when you trust me, pisteo, pistis, it's the idea that I rely upon God, not just that I believe in him, Yes, belief's required, but it's more than that. I trust him. And what happens is, write this down, there is a spiritual resurrection that will happen in your life today. And guys, it is so good because check this out. You are transformed from one degree of splendor to the next over your life until the moment of your physical death, in which case the process becomes perfect. You burst before God in glory like a flame burning with his own joy, burning with his own energy, burning with his own purity. His own perfection becomes yours. So do you understand? I'm talking about a life that starts today. By the way, this is Jesus' whole point with Martha. The passage we've been reading, what's the context? Context, by the way, is everything when you're studying the Bible. It's amazing how we can understand it better, what they mean when we understand its context. What's the context of this passage? Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha, and Martha says, well, Jesus, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day, and what does Jesus say to that? Jesus says, oh, no, you don't get it. I'm not talking about the resurrection as a future possibility. I'm talking about the resurrection as a present reality. Listen to me. It's a very searching thing what I'm about to say to you. Jesus says, wherever I am, there is life. Listen. Wherever he is there, there has to be a change. This is the teaching. This is what's gonna kick off the next several weeks. Listen, I gotta ask you this. Is there anything revolutionary going on in your life? Can you point to a process? Can you point to a date? Can you point to a time where you notice there was once a hardness, but now there's a softness? There was once stagnation, but now there's freshness. There was once blindness, but now there's sight. Because that's what happens. It is unbelievable. Greatest day of my life. By the way, Ronnie talked about core classes starting next week. You should come. I'm just telling you, you'd love it. 
we eat together, we spend time together, but it's what our core classes are all about. You know what the core classes are for? They're not classes. I hate it that we call them classes. Come to a class. No, they're an experience in which you will learn how this process works. You will learn what it means to be born again, what it means to be changed. In fact, at North Point, we have a symbol that we like to call the river, and it just describes what we want to see happen in your life. I'm not, tr- I'm not doing a bait and switch here. I am telling you today, it may be your first time, and here's what we want to see happen. We want to see, we're reaching out to the community. That's the lowest possible thing there on the land, and we think of it as going into deeper and deeper water. And we reach out to a crowd, and we hope that our weekends are done well enough that we're going to form a crowd, and that crowd's going to come. Hey, crowd. But then we hope you're not just a crowd. Guess what we hope? We hope that as you get into deeper water, you become what? Convinced. What do we want you convinced of? That Jesus is your Savior, that you need him, that you walk in relationship. And then if you invite his spirit to come and live in in you, guess what? You don't have to worry about what you're going to change. His Holy Spirit will work in you, I promise, and he'll begin to teach you how to be committed. You say, how do you know that for sure? Because that's the sign of the new covenant. God says, I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will make you want to follow my commands. That's how it works. You don't have to worry. Somebody asked me once, what do I have to do? Stop worrying about that. God's spirit's gonna come in you. He's gonna rock your world. And you're gonna love it. (laughs) It's gonna be awesome. Then you become committed. Then you learn how to reach out to other people because of this news. He's resurrected. He's alive. Now, can you say, here's my question for you. Can you say that something so revolutionary has happened in your life? You say, Pastor, how do I know? I wanna know. Here's how you know. Look at your life, and I'm gonna ask you, is there life? Because where Jesus is, there is what? Life. Has there been a spiritual resurrection? Now, if you can't say, I've noticed life. Listen, you may be religious, you may go to church, but you can honestly say in your heart of hearts, there's not really life, then Jesus Christ might be saying to you this morning, I'm not really in your life. Why? Because Jesus says, wherever I am, there is. Come on. You'll notice, and let me close it this way. What does this mean? I want you to write this down. You've got to get this distinction. This is going to kick off our next series. We're going to talk about how you change things in your life. Moral reformation is not the same thing as a resurrection. There, is a lot, there are a lot of people that go to church and they're not resurrected. They're morally reformed. They're religious. It's possible to morally reform yourself without this resurrection. It's true. But I'm going to tell you, some of you are wondering, well, how do I know? Am I morally reformed or am I resurrected? What's the difference? Let me tell you one of the ways you'll know. You ready? I'm going to give you a secret. Write it down. I'm serious. I'm giving you a key here. This is scriptural. How do you know you're you're resurrected and not just morally reformed and religious? If you're morally reformed, you're going to feel superior to other people. Have you ever noticed some Christians are like that? Really superior, really judgy. They look down on other people and it's like, well, they're the problem. Be careful. If you're resurrected, grace will melt your heart and you'll, you're not gonna look at other people's sin. Guess whose sin you're gonna look at? You're gonna look at your own. And you're gonna stop looking at everybody else. Some of you, you walk a fine line and I'd say embrace grace. <laughs> You're a sinner. You need Jesus as much as the next guy. Focus on yourself. We're all broken. 
But what'll happen is you will find that the Bible is alive in you and the Bible becomes at large in you. Have you ever tasted something so sweet that it electrifies your whole self? I'll never forget, I came to Jesus and then I was laying on my couch, I'm 17 years old, my mom who's now with the Lord in heaven, she walked by me, she goes, man, you're gonna have that whole thing read in a week because I was just consuming. She didn't understand it. What's going on in you? What's happened? The Bible becomes alive, Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing your soul, joints and marrow. It judges your thoughts and actions. You begin to dig into God's word, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is changing me. It dawns on you. Come on, anybody get excited? It shines on you. Peter puts it this way. Oh, I love Peter. Who was Peter? He was the loudmouth of the bunch. We all can relate to Peter. What did Peter say? Peter said, for you have been born. Come on. Oof. But not of perishable seed. Nope. You have been born of imperishable seed through the what? The word of God. Has that seed been born into you? Now listen, if it has, get yourself in that water today and get baptized. On those sermons that were first preached where 5,000 people, they said, what must we do to be saved? They were convicted in the heart. Peter, what shall we do to be saved? He said, repent and go get in that water. By the way, when we take you to Israel, which we do every year, save your quarters. I always tell you that. We take you to the spot where that sermon happened and where all the baptisms happened. And he says, repent and be baptized. Because you're saying, I've been changed. Now guys, listen. I hope that you come today and I hope I've convinced you enough that you're not gonna become an Easter, Christmas, one and done, two and done kind of person. I hope you keep coming to church because the series we're going into now starting next week is, how can you see real change in your life? Some of you, you're desperate for change. Some of you are here today and you're like, I've got this bad habit. I've got bad things going on in my life. My marriage is on the rocks. My life is just hard. I need to see change in my life. I challenge you to come for the whole series. Begin to read God's word and apply his word. I promise you. I mean, I say so confidently, if you come in with an open heart, Jesus Christ will change your life. And then focus on whatever it is that's holding you back. The book of Jude says this. Here's great news as we close. He says, to him who is able to keep you from what? Stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without what? Fault. You've got your receipt. And that gives you great what? Joy. I'm talking about resurrection. You change, you delight, it brings you joy knowing you please God. But guess what? If you're resurrected, there's no pride over it. There's no self-importance. You still know that you're just saved by grace. The change is a godly change. It's a resurrection that's real. Anybody want that today? I hope you do. Here's how you get it. You ready? I said it at the beginning. Let's close with it. Write this down. This is your takeaway. Today, surrender to a relationship with Jesus. Just say, God, I surrender. Resurrection is found in a person. Resurrection is found in relationship, and his spirit will come and live in you. And then, can I give you one more task as we close here? This is what I want for you to do for Easter. Ready? 
And then you're going to see your life change over this next series. You come next week, you're going to see this happen. Write this down. Start killing whatever is holding you back from becoming his, in his glorious image. Start killing that stuff that's holding you back from becoming who you know you should be. Guys, look at me for just a minute. Some of you, you know what's holding you back from becoming like Jesus? Sleep on Sunday. <laughs> Quit letting that hold you back. Listen, Jesus rose from the grave. You can get out of bed. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be up front, but you lazy bums need to come. <laughs> kill whatever holds you back. Listen, here's what I'm really saying. Go kill a sin today. Would you do that? Go kill a sin. Isn't that a good goal? Just get out your spiritual shotgun and say, you are dead meat. I'm going to kill you. You got a sin going on in your life, kill it. Listen to me. Killing those things that keep the resurrection power from flowing in your life... Oh, that's so good for you. Go kill it. Go confess it. Go get it right. Listen, what do I want you to do for Easter? Here's your homework. Do not go searching for an Easter egg. Don't go pick a lily. Go kill a sin. Turn to somebody and say, go kill it. Come on. Good job. Let me pray for you that we can do that together. Father, I pray for every man and woman. I pray for every person here that we'd kill a sin. Lord, that we'd be resurrected and that we'd have your resurrection power flowing through us. Would you move? Would you guide? Would you direct us? Would you make yourself known? Pray this prayer with me. Just pray it out loud. Jesus, I want to know you. Come into my life. Change my life. Forgive me of my sin. Oh, thank you for the receipt. I love you, God. Death does not fear me. I am alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen.